0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U.
1: Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. So that word mature, you know, sometimes I can kind of get you. So I'm going to lose the jacket. I wore the jacket as a sign of respect to you. You all saw it. There it goes. Um, It's the only one I own. I need to update my wardrobe. It's really a pleasure to be here today. And I... Appreciate the invitation to come and share a little bit of our experiences with you about uh, e-learning, you know, online learning, and um, maybe to to leave you with some new ideas, uh, give you stimulate some discussion, some conversation. I'm really hoping that we can um, turn this into a dialogue today, so it's not all just two uh, one dimension. It'll be more fun if we can have some a little bit of an exchange. The uh, the topic that uh, Gabrielle and I had selected to work on was this idea about what we know about teaching and learning online, and this initially turned out to be an accident—the um, the spacing and all. But then I kind of thought about it afterwards, and I thought, you know, it's actually a little bit about how we feel about teaching and learning online. Like we recognize some of the things, but other pieces and parts of it are kind of out of place, and it and it can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, I was at this program one time. This was one of the the best techniques I've ever heard used to help people understand how uncomfortable this this transition is, this transformation from teaching face-to-face into an online environment can be. I'm not going to have you do this, but this is what they did because it will freak you out. They they asked everybody, they said, we're gonna we're gonna help you understand how it feels to move from a position of comfort and knowledge and stuff to a to another environment where it's really uncomfortable. We're gonna ask everyone to stand up and they had all of us stand up. There were about a hundred people in the room. Now we're gonna ask you to turn to the person next to you. And so we all did that, and they said, now we'd like you to embrace. (laughs) And they said, and really, really embrace. So the first thing I'm thinking about was who I'm going to hug. You know, I saw this old guy over here. Young, you know. Anyways, they said they didn't actually have us do it, but they said you, you had some fear at, at that moment. Like, oh no, this is an uncomfortable social situation here, right? And some of that feeling, I think, of moving from one environment to another has some similarities in that. And so when, when that accidentally happened, I thought, you know, that might be a good way to sort of set up some of this conversation. So let me ask you just by way of um, some background information from you, how many people are, are faculty or instructors but have teaching roles and responsibilities? Almost 100% super. And how many of you right now use some level of technology in, in your courses, would you say? Almost everybody, terrific. So how many of you would say that you have taught online? Few, few or less, okay, good. How many of you enjoyed it and would do it again? No, okay. Hey, there you go, that's not too bad. All right, that's a good thing. All right, so what I'd like to do today is to talk about um, some issues that we've seen. So as Al as introduced, I've been with Penn State, actually I've been with Penn State for 34 years now, and um, I'd like to say I started right under undergraduate, you know that old storyline, but, I, but uh, I did not I started in, in um, 1984 but I've always been involved uh, teaching adult learners and I've always been involved in faculty and with faculty and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in, in a bit. Um, and as I've done that we've had some really I've had phenomenal opportunities at Penn State to be involved in some real transitional kinds of experiences and um, this, this latest one being involved in the Center for Online Innovation and Learning uh, is only a year and a half old, and it's another one of these steps for me that was um, uh, transformational in my own growth, and I've got, a, I've got a long way to go there, but it's really quite exciting. But we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that people, uh, that you think about teaching and learning online. I'm going to give you some ideas of from our experiences of how we've helped faculty members uh, make a transformation from one environment to another. Talk about what's uncomfortable in that and some things that faculty members have done to be more successful. Then I'm going to focus a little bit in on some skills and competencies that are necessary to be successful in teaching online and then finally, and this will be embedded, number four is actually embedded into some of the other ones, some specific strategies and methods that you might use in order to gain some of those skill sets and competencies. So I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up on this one, but I will ask you to think about this. So on a scale of 1 to 10, where would you place yourself in terms of confidence, in your confidence in your ability to teach online? Just think about that for a second. Oh, there was a first 10 over there. No, I was just joking. Um, so as you think about that, you know, my, my guess is there, there are a few of you who might say, oh, I'm, I'm a 10. I, I feel pretty pretty confident. I've done it. I've had a few conversations with some faculty members where I get that sense. Most in the room, I'm going to guess if I had to, are probably in the five, six, seven range of confidence. And um, that's based, of course, on how many times you've taught before, what your experience was like, what the students experience like, uh, and so forth. And, and that that confidence level reflects in how well you do, how much you embrace the opportunities that are presented to you and we're going to talk through a little bit of those ideas in the in the future. So the first thing I'd like to do, I'm going to have a little interaction going on. Oh and by the way if you can't tell I love to be engaged with you, the audience, so if you have questions or comments or things put them up. I can adjust my timing on all of this it's not a problem. I'd rather get to them when you're thinking about them rather than to wait till the very end because you oftentimes have forgot. So what interesting things have you heard about or have you experienced if it's a negative thing, then you want to say, well, the guy next to me said, you know, or, or <laughs> my brother-in-law said. Um, but what have you heard about teaching and learning online? Well, this is really interactive, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Sir? That there's limited interaction from the students. OK, it's limited interaction. So you can kind of say it's a there's a technological interface that can kind of interact. OK, all right, good. Other thoughts, sir. What you miss most is face-to-face contact. Okay, so I miss seeing their eyeballs, right? You know, I like to be face-to-face. And someone else said that. I'm sure, <laughs> not you. Yeah, this guy next to you. Yeah, yeah. It's I saw. Eye contact. It's, uh, body language. Okay, so I don't get the sense of being in the same space. I can't watch you. In this case, I can't watch you eat. The front end—I'm and consumed by that. You mean the design and development preparation of it is enormous, right, Tess? How about the, the back end, like, like, or the or the middle part, the delivery component?
0: I guess my belief is once you've got it in place, the delivery might be a little smoother with some of the limitations of the interaction with the students
1: that many of us enjoy. Okay. All right, ma'am. Uh, is very challenging. Mm. To very, mm-hmm. very tough. How come? Well, if it's called can you it? if it's open books, again, it's, it's challenging. Yeah, OK. So assessment strategies are really difficult. And what if I teach like a science class, right, where I've got to have the students, say, perhaps maneuver some objects, or an engineering class where they actually have to build things. So it's assessment and evaluation more, more difficult, more challenging. All right, some other ones. You guys are now getting warmed up. Huh? Yeah, I got one. I got one.
0: Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden you just, something goes down, a server goes down on campus, you get a live session and that's it, looking game over, over the week, mm-hmm. things of that
1: nature, technology, challenges. So when there's technology failures, failures. yeah, it goes bad, yeah. it goes bad. It's sort of like, because uh, I heard someone just recently, Rob, uh, mention the idea of a snow day, <laughs> right? <laughs> sort of like, like snow days online, right, when the technology <laughs> okay. drops, okay? How about some other ones?
0: Mm. In some cases, online has given me, has given me an opportunity mm. to reach the
1: students with information about how to research at one of schools that mm. I wouldn't be able to because that, that sometimes the faculty member doesn't have the time to have them come into the class or go the class. Terrific. So in your case, you're saying it actually um, facilitates access to, to larger resources. Right. That's sometimes there's a challenge to that. Sure. Right. Right. <coughs> right, 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 right. But it is more. Okay, I'm gonna just take one more, ma'am.
0: So it's advantageous because your students can be anywhere
1: in the country. There's mm. also could be
0: a challenge if they are have a huge learning curve
1: to use the technology mm.
0: if they don't know how to use themselves,
1: if they don't know how to right. use the headset, and that can take a lot of time. Okay. So if you're teaching uh in this case I'm gonna s- expect you're teaching a synchronous online learning program and uh so a synchronous online learning program means that we've got to be uh in the same time we've got to be phys- you know i don't know how do you even say that synchronously uh and uh and also there's the there's just some technological capabilities of headsets and speakers working and things like that could be impediments okay so let me try i'm going to take that and it, well, let's see how you did against my david letterman's top 10 concerns uh first one Uh, we hear still some today but not as much as when we did in 1998 when we started with the World Campus and as well you know you really can't learn online people don't actually you know it's not an environment I have to have in the classroom number nine is the content is just dumbed down all they're doing really I mean seriously they're just taking textbooks scanning them and sticking them online and that's then they call that online education um, I need to see the whites of their eyes for people to really learn. We have to sit here and have this interaction and I can see your eyes and I can see your body language and such. Uh, it's a cold technological environment. We heard that one. It's just not the same quality you know, as the face-to-face experience. That's a real concern of mine. Number five is uh, they're really just trying to replace us you know, because they're gonna suck all of our content out put it into this technological environment, and then they can start furloughing faculty. I mean, think of the money they would save, right? It'd be amazing. Uh, this is one of my favorites here. Number four is my content. Yeah, I understand you can learn online and you can do it, but, but not for me, because my content's special. <laughs> you know, I'm unique, and, and my answer is you're unique, just like everybody else. Um, Number five is my students. This is a good, fa- this is a favorite one because they, they could push it back to saying, "Well, I've asked my students, and they would really prefer the face-to-face. They're not interested in online." Number two is this idea of, you know, and um, someone was suggesting something about the academic integrity when you're doing assessment strategies. Do you know how do I know that the person on the other end of that computer line is is who they say they are? And so that's that's a real concern. But here's my favorite one. You know, it just can't be as good as me in the classroom. Now, this picture was taken at Pitt, it was not taken at, at Penn State, but, but the, okay, so we're gonna sort of address some of these, these issues as we look through it. Uh, I always like to say, you know, I, I, you can't, can't say these things to, to people in response, but I wanna say, you know, I've seen you in the classroom, and it ain't that good, you know? <laughs> but you dare not go there. So just let me give you a real quick background, uh, as uh, Al mentioned. Um, so I've been involved in education. I actually started out as a high school teacher in Gettysburg uh, right down the road from here uh, a number of years ago uh, out of Penn State and um, moved up to University Park, got married, did the whole, whole nine yards family and all there. Uh, worked for a little while at the Hershey Medical Center as their instructional designers in the uh, early 90s Um, I've I've really become a a student about quality issues in the online environment. Because if you go back to the concerns that we just walked through, so many of those are based around what quality means. And so I've I've dug a lot into that literature and have done some research around that aspect. I'll share a little bit about that with you in a bit. And I've always been around faculty. And I'll, I'll tell you what that means to me in a couple minutes. Uh, and I feel like I'm still a student. This is, I think, part of the why you're all in education, is that you you discovered a little secret, and that is someone will pay you to continue to learn. And that's really a fascinating. I just have never met a faculty member who, who didn't enjoy their domain enough to continue to want to still learn. That's, that's a lot of what drives us, and so I, I like that. So there's some good news about teaching and learning online, and I'm, I'm going to use the terms teaching and learning sort of, they're, they're one thing to me, they're not, I don't, I don't tease them out and separate them. Because I think when we teach, we're also in a learning capacity, right? Uh, and when we're learning, we can also flip that around and use that as a teaching opportunity. We now know after, you know, almost 18 years of various types of uh, online learning, we, we know how to do this very, very well, very effectively and we have research behind us that can support that. There's been a lot that's been explored in this field. I'm going to share some of that. And, and this is the one that, that I get kind of charged up about is I have seen the, the once faculty members or instructors, whatever label, we'll just call them faculty members, get sort of embrace the, the idea that they are going to continue to learn in this space. It, it really has reinvigorated and, and recharge their, their love of teaching. And in a Penn State, research one institution, that's no small task when faculty members all of a sudden sort of get drawn back into the classroom. There are some caveats. These are the things I, I would bet that you've all experienced. It does require some change, and I'd say rather some significant change. It definitely requires more time and energy. There's just no doubt about that. It's gonna take more, and I would say both on design and development, Delivery and post course there's there's work that has to be done because of revisions and so forth Um, You have to be open to the idea that there are some different ways of doing things than what you're used to that's that's going to come with the Territory it does require a higher risk tolerance that maybe as many faculty members um, Or or anybody uh, It's moving you sort of out of your comfort comfort zone and and in many cases. It's an unknown field so this is what I mean by that how many of you have your degree from an online institution so like three people out of this out of this gathering today which means most of us ha- I hope it was positive Absolutely. terrific Got me here terrific um, but think about this most of us learned in traditional sort of lecture style formats and now you're asking people who have had that as their primary background and maybe haven't had a positive online experience to, to, to make this shift and they're not quite sure what they're stepping off of and it's it can be a, a bit unnerving so any mechanical engineers in the room any idea what that is hey very good and what's the small piece well this is when I, what I didn't tell you is when I taught, when I taught at uh, high school I taught agricultural sciences, and we taught small gas engines. So this is a flywheel from a lawnmower, and this thing is called a flywheel key. And The flywheel key, if you see a little notch right over here, when that flywheel slides over the shaft, the, the flywheel key slides in and locks it on. So this is my, my, my premise. If this is our learning system, if this is our online learning system, then that's a faculty member. And by that, I mean that the faculty member ties the system together without that piece being in intact. By the way, that in, in, in real mechanics, that's a piece of shearable metal. Because if your, system, if your lawnmower is going to lock up, you want it to shear this off, which is easy to replace, rather than destroy the engine, right? So now, don't relate that to faculty members, OK? <laughs> I was just teaching you a little bit about small gas engines. Actually, that's about all I know about small gas engines, which is why I'm here today not teaching agricultural education. So, but, but my point being here that, that faculty are absolutely the key. You can, you can have the most beautifully designed learning system, you can have amazing media and graphics and spinning globes and all that stuff, but if you don't have a dedicated faculty member in that class, dedicated to seeing the students succeed, you're gonna have a failed system. And, and, and we've, we've done it both ways, let me tell you. We've designed beautifully crafted systems and put those online only to have it fail because the faculty member was not adequately prepared or was prepared and it wasn't the right place for him. The story I always tell on this one is, is my, he was my thesis advisor, um, we'll just call him Ed. And and his course in in statistics was terrific. And everybody lined up to take Ed's course. And um, we decided, let's put Ed's course online. And it took us about five years. It was a long slog. And that should have been our first clue. (laughs) This wasn't going to be good. We finally got the course done. As a matter of fact, we had so much of Ed in the course, I called it Edified. So the course was edified near, you know, little icons and images and stuff. It was a really neat course, beautifully designed. We got in to deliver the course, and it was a complete failure. I mean, Ed just didn't understand what his role was, even though we had done faculty development. After one time, we decided, you know, this isn't the right environment for Ed. We sat down, he's a terrific guy, still teaching, students still line up for his face-to-face class, but online was not the place for him. The second thing we learned about that little lesson was that you shouldn't edify a course. I mean you shouldn't be careful about how much you make it about one individual because now when you bring in Bob to teach Ed's course, there's too much of a personality. It's just a it was a lesson that we learned. So a couple of things I'm going to ask you to think about in this transformation is that we are trying to change and, and get around a mindset. There are some new skill sets and competencies that have to be required. And there's this interface, this tool set. Now you're working in a learning management system, or you' you're working with teleconferencing technologies, whatever your suite of technologies are. I think this is an awful lot to ask faculty to, to make this shift. Um, and you've got to address it. from my perspective, you have to address all three of these dimensions in order to be successful. So the first thing we're going to talk a little bit about is how have we helped faculty make this transition? Now, and what I'm speaking about is not just online as being the totally online class. We do this same format for faculty members using technology in the classroom, for faculty members using it in a blended format or totally online. first thing we focus on is is getting your driver's license. You know, you probably wouldn't take your 15 or 16-year-old, hand them the keys to your Honda CRV and say, here, go, here's a parking lot, watch the polls. You know, uh, you'd spend some time making sure that they have the skill sets that they need, the technological skill sets to be successful. Uh, they, they have to know how to do that management system, and this is something brand new. You folks are a blackboard school. Uh, we're becoming a blackboard school. Um, you know, there are things about that environment you just have to know. Some ways that we do that that have turned out to be pretty effective is we do provide technical training, so faculty members can attend. And what we've learned about this is that we would chunk these things very small. In other words, instead of bringing faculty in for like three days of mind-numbing blackboard, oh, I shouldn't offend anybody here. I don't know if you've attended those. I'm sure they were marvelous. <laughs> They're not marvelous for us. People glaze over after about you know the first hour or so. So we break them up into smaller chunks about coming to learn how to use the gradebook and. A week or two later, we'll do something about how to, how to add media to, your, to your, con- your course and so forth. Um, we also encourage the faculty to participate in a training program that's actually called OL2000. It's Online Learning 2000. It's something we developed as an experience for faculty to be engaged as a learner. So I saw three hands go up when I asked, had you taken an online course? That, in my mind, bumps you up significantly in the ability to teach online, because you know how it feels. What I've always found funny, the times I've taught this course, this is a four-week totally online course, takes about two to three hours per week for the faculty members, Um, was how faculty revert back to student behavior? I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I can, I'll never forget a faculty member, there was an assignment due on a Saturday, and a faculty member wrote to me and said, you know, Larry, I'm going to be, might, might even called me Dr. Reagan or something, I forget. But, but Larry, I'm going to be traveling to my mother-in-law's, she doesn't have great internet connection, can I hand the assignment in on Monday morning? You know, well, of course you can, but, but it also gives, you, gives them the feeling of, oh, your students are going to be having that, that same phenomena, that same experience. The other, the other thing that has been really effective for us in this plan is we've taken some of the top performers out of this course and we've asked them to teach subsequent courses. So you begin sort of embedding the culture, f- you know, seeding the culture with, the, the, with colleagues. So now you have a faculty member in engineering teaching OL2000 and he has faculty members in there from all different uh, course disciplines. Creates a, a great dialogue and, and discussion. One thing that we're very careful about here is not so when we do training for the trainers in this, we, we're very careful to say, "Look, we don't want you to overteach this." I had one faculty member say, "Oh, Larry, I'll be great when I teach OL 2000. I'll have like a 20-second response time. You know as soon as I get an email, I swear, whether it's through the night, I'll respond to it." And I said, "You know, please don't. <laughs> you, you, you're setting up an expectation that, that no one is expected to perform like that. We want you to perform at a, at a great level, at a Penn State quality level we refer to it as, but that doesn't mean being over the top. You're going to burn out if you try to do that kind of, if you have that sort of mentality. So we've defined actually what are performance expectations for faculty, what is a reasonable amount of response time. And we've defined that for faculty so they have some idea of what that's going to mean. And we teach that actually in OL2000s. The course content is about teaching learning online but it gives them the student experience. Second thing is to know the, have the owner's manual. This is particularly important, of course, if you were not the, the, the person who constructed the course. Um, know this, the, the structure, the flow, the rhythm. A couple different ways of getting to this is accessing the instructor's guide. Hopefully there was one written for you. Or if you've written a course, write an instructor's guide. You know, have something that's a couple pages long that, that, that think about, oh, if I had to share this course with somebody else to teach it, what would I tell them to do? By doing that, you're codifying the, the techniques and the steps, and it, and it can oftentimes raise points of, um, of uh, uh, things you're going to bump into in the course. It might be a timing issue on a quiz and, a, and an exam and, a, and an assignment or something like that. Um, We encourage our instructors to talk to whoever the course author. Sometimes at Penn State we will take the lead faculty member who may be an expert in their field and we'll ask them to to author the course but we'll have then other faculty who are going to teach it because we need two or three or four sections. This has been a really effective manner. Um, We'll often take to talk to students who have taken the course because if you really want some insights about how the course operates Talk to the students. They'll give you you the pros and cons about it. And you have to sift through it a little bit, because they'll also throw in some extra stuff. Uh, But it's a great source of of input. And we always talk about our first course as being the pilot offering. In other words, give yourself a break. It's going to be okay. Things aren't going to go perfectly. We know that. You're going to want to come back and refine it. It's okay. You don't have to nail it the first time out. We talk about planning and management. This is where we're really looking at getting it on a schedule. So I know none of you do this here, but sometimes at Penn State, faculty members do planning to teach their face-to-face course 10 minutes before they walk into the classroom. I know you guys all have lesson plans down and it's all scripted out, I'm sure. Um, In the online environment, you do not have that degree of flexibility. You've gotta be a bit more proactive about when things are going to happen so that you're on the ball. So if you've got a schedule uh, in front of you and you know when the quiz is coming up, you've got that built in. One of the things I do when I teach is I put my teaching tasks right into my calendar. So on a daily basis, once the the course is being taught, (coughs) items will pop up and it'll say, hey, make sure to open up the quiz today in your online course. this idea about creating a teaching plan just says sort of every week you're going to go through your course and you're going to define exactly what the tasks are going to be so um, this is a phenomenon I've experienced the first time I teach the course it's almost always really pretty good the reason for that is I'm really highly tuned and sensitized to everything I really want it to go good second time I think oh last time I taught it it went really well and I slip a little bit in my attention. By the third or fourth time, some of those bigger things have slipped off of my plate, and now all of a sudden I'm surprised because I didn't plan it out. So creating a, a teaching plan that defines these specific tasks and putting it onto a calendar turns out to be a great, a great um, strategy. This is the idea about uh, putting your personal stamp on it. Now, this is one, again, I don't know your complete environment here. But in some cases, our faculty members are not allowed to modify the course. So, for example, take uh, English 15. We teach 22 sections of English 15 online. That means 21 of those people haven't authored that course. And so the department has decided who is allowed to modify that course. Now, if you're the course author and you own it, obviously you have a great deal of uh, ability to modify it. Um, we use different strategies to do that. Faculty members will create videos, perhaps in their offices, or they'll do it in their labs. Uh, we had one guy; uh, he was an IST. He is an IST. He's um, he's a Harley Davidson motorcycle guy, and he's got long hair and tattoos all over his body, and he's got wears black leather jackets and things. That's he's a great. He's an IST faculty member. He's a great guy he takes his bike out on, on rides in Pennsylvania someplace and he'll stop at a location and he'll do a video for that week's lecture. He'll say here I am sitting in Gorham National Park or State Park and I'm talking about this and he'll do it might be just a three to five minute introduction but it's his way of helping to connect to his learners and he can post it up al- almost automatically. Now that may not be you well, I'm looking around, it's none of you actually, so that's prob- <laughs> probably a good thing. Um, but you have to decide what you're comfortable with. This is quite a few years ago. That daughter is now 21. Um, and um, yeah, I had about the same amount of hair, so you couldn't tell based on the hair. But you know, I did that, and I would often have my dog with me, or I'd have my, my daughter, she happened to be nearby, I, I brought her into the frame and, and introduced her to my students. Not everybody's comfortable doing that. You have to decide how much do you personalize it? If there's the potential that you're never going to meet your students, which is in almost all of our courses at Penn State, uh, through the the World Campus, there's no expectation that students are going to come onto campus, this method of connecting to is one way of breaking down that barrier, that technological barrier that someone raised earlier. This is one way of getting to that. But you have to do what's comfortable. I'll, I'll say to faculty members, if you're not funny in the classroom, you're probably not going to be funny online. <laughs> so don't try it. As a matter of fact, it has a higher chance of going south than, than you might believe. But you won't know. <laughs> you won't. Because you don't hear them don't laughing, right, yeah, 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 it's a double negative in there somehow, yeah. You know. Um, we had a faculty member, actually, who, who had an interesting style in the classroom. Uh, and that was to be rather combative and rather, um, it was a, he was, he was tough. He expected, this is in a graduate level course in adult education. The intention in the classroom was that he was gonna get this engagement and he was gonna help you become academically rigorous, right? This is about debate and we ought to be able to share ideas. You know, we translated that, his course, to an online environment with international students. That style did not go over well. And um, it, it was actually to the point where they actually had to, to, to stop his teaching of it. He could not make that transition. Because in the classroom, if, if we do that here face to face, you can read body language, you can hear my inflections, and and such and, and, and we can maybe pull it off and you know it's my style we do it week after week after week in the online environment students may not know that and may take offense to that type of a style so, so styles an interesting which actually leads into very nicely the, the audience analysis you know there are just many different doors out there there are many different people out there and understanding who your students are and who you're addressing is really a critical part of your of your success we spend some time looking at the people who are taking our courses. We understand that we're reaching adult learners, 34-year-old, primarily female. Actually, just slightly majority female, 51-52%. We understand what some of their characteristics are of adult learners that are different from students who are 18 to 22-year-olds. By the way, this is all stuff that we pull into that faculty development program I told you about OL2000. Because our faculty members in many cases are teaching 18 to 22 year olds on a daily basis. Now we put them into an online environment, the demographic has changed, but they've not shifted their understanding. Adult learners, what do we know about adult learners? They want to bring their own knowledge, they want it to be very uh, engaged, it has to apply directly to whatever work they're doing. Um, they they, they want to be treated like adults, right? And, uh, and that's different and again that may be a shift for some faculty. Uh, we usually suggest doing a, a get-to-know-you type exercise and, and we always ask for continual input. Um, this means that you might go out and ask students, hey how's it going? Are you understanding my point? Sort of like you would use clickers inside of a classroom, uh, we do similar technologies or methodologies in the online space. You know, the three most important things here are about uh, engagement, engagement, engagement. I mean, ac- activity and engagement, in my mind, kind of go along. But you have to be visible and you have to be engaged in this environment. And you've got to work on engaging your learners. Otherwise, it goes back to that point I'd made earlier about being a page turner. You know, it's pages and pages a- after uh, of context, which is tough. That's, have to do That's a really, really good question. We, we have a requirement that the students do something of significance that is uh, measurable. It doesn't have to be gradable, but it has to be measurable at least once a week in your class. So they're, they're taking a, a self-quiz, they're doing a, a short paper, they're having some interactions on a discussion board, but there's something every week and, and I have to be honest with you, that wasn't the way we started when we started with the World Campus. It was, a, it was three or four weeks, sort of like what we do in the lecture halls, right? Matter of fact, have any of you been to Penn State University Park? Have any of you been in the forum? Okay, a few of you know what I'm gonna, where I'm probably gonna go with this. So the forum is this e- enormous round building that's chunked into pies, and I think they seat three to 400 students per, cla- per class. When you go into the forum and you're sitting in that class and the faculty members down there on the stage, I mean, it's virtually distance education, right? <laughs> and when you do that three or four weeks, there's not a lot of engagement and, and uh, you know, my, two of my kids uh, have gone to Penn State and they'll say, it's, you know, well, I say, well, what are you doing in your class? So Nothing yet, nothing yet, you know, like three <laughs> weeks into class, nothing yet. Oh, now I'm going to take a midterm and then I'm going to do a final like there's there's very little or very low engagement in the online environment if you do that if you try that approach you're gonna lose your students they're gonna drop off they won't show up to take the midterm or the final and I think this is still the case I believe federal funding for student for student loans and and, and thing is tied to is that is that right yep demonstrable activity yeah so it's a requirement for them to get student aid that, that class have some activity on a on a regularly regular basis sir yeah
0: and I, I've also learned that the engagement um, means other things than just have the students do something like I'll, I'll set up my collaborate classes on a week to week basis I'll wait until halfway between the two classes just so they get an email from me saying that class is
1: yes. next week or whatever yeah, it yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I try to per, uh, we have a class you note know, place where I can mm-hmm. And I'll say, hey, this is what I'll wait until a couple days before. This is what you want to think about for class discussion. So I try to space these things out so students, I, I don't know if I'd say are hearing from me, but in many yes. ways they're hearing from me sort of a, as we're going. So it seems like we're on this eight-week journey together. Yes. So. And and that that helps. Like I'll just Because I'll give replies to like the Collaborate class has been set up. Yes. And I'll give replies that question of, has nothing to do with the Collaborate right.
1: class. Right. But so you so triggered it. i it. Yeah. You know, I, I triggered the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Kind of I think, I think that's a great idea. As a matter of fact, if, if uh, so, so let me just do these two because I think my next one up, yeah, is um, on that on that topic. So how do you do those things? Well, we talked about, um, you know, look into strategies that can engage your learners. There are, this is the incredible space we live in today, folks. And I know you know this stuff. I know you, you, you're you familiar with Facebook and Twitter. We've all heard it until we're sick and tired of it. And, but if you think about, the capabilities and the affordances of these tools that we have access to today, I mean, it really is phenomenal. It's, it's really, I think, the changing of higher education. Because I think that once we figure out how to use these things, we'll actually be building courses that can be better than face-to-face. I know that not everybody agrees with that, but there are things that I can't do with you all right now that I could do with you online to, to figure out are you getting my points, are you understanding, are you in agreement, whatever. This is really an exciting time. Understanding how to use these techniques and these strategies, it's part of what I'm doing right now in the Center for Online uh, I- Innovation in Learning is we're, we're researching these various technologies and methodologies and pedagogies in order to increase the efficiency and effectiveness primarily the effectiveness of student learning. I mean, that's what, that's what it's about. And that's, to me, is really exciting. So let me jump to this one. Um, that's not me, you recognize, that's, that's <laughs> what it, but I, I love this comment, you know, is that 80% of success is showing up, and I, I use another slide, I didn't put it in here, but 80, 80% of online teaching success is being present. It's what you, what you just said. It's that the students know and have confidence that there's someone behind this you know, the curtain over there. They want to know that. That's really important to them. And so this, this is my idea about leaving a trail of evidence that you're engaged. So you sending an email out and saying, hey, just a reminder, we've got you know class coming up, and, or we've got a, you've got your quiz coming up on Friday. I'm going to open it at 5 o'clock, whatever time. Um, you know, is oh, yes, that's right. And I had a question about that quiz. You use that as a trigger mechanism rather than oh, it's on the syllabus. You know, read the syllabus, you'll find it there. Um, let me walk through a couple of these other things here. So, this idea about uh, meaningful responses, in particular, we've discovered working with adult learners, sending out empty, shallow, nice job. You know, way to go, Tony. That kind of stuff for for most adult learners adds no value, and they'll they'll let you know that very quickly. They want to hear from you. One of the reasons when we did some surveying about our early online courses, one of the reasons students said they they took the online course was because they knew there was a faculty member there from Penn State, and and they knew of they happened to know in this individual's case of his research and his writing and such. I mean, they were they said. We're talking to El Turgeon. He wrote the book on this topic that was really, really important to them. So your presence there, you remember the, the comment I made earlier about they're trying to replace you right? By, the tech, by building an avatar of you and then doing it totally online? There's like nothing that can be further from the truth. There's no avatar that's going to replace you. The students actually want and desire to hear from you as, as a human being and value Your content knowledge and your experiences Um, I did this one here this was kind of an interesting one this how are you doing email so in one of the courses I was teaching this is about 10 years ago I sent I I thought you know I I need to be doing a better job of reaching out to my students so about halfway through the course I sent out this note and I individualized it so I didn't just send one big email blast out to everybody said hey how are you doing I sent out I said hey Rob we're halfway through the course. I'm just checking in to see how you're doing. And then I said, hey, Mary, it's halfway through the course. I did that for all my students. And I started getting emails back. And he says, Dr. Reagan, am I in trouble? <laughs> you know, like, why, 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 why am I getting this email? And I and I talked to a couple of the students just through some email exchanges and said, you know, what's that about? I just want to know how you're doing. Are you doing okay? And they said, you know, no one's ever asked me before. Think about that. No one, no, in my experience, no one's asked me how am I doing in this course. I just assumed I was doing something wrong. So I changed when I taught the course the next time, subsequent times. I changed the language in that email to say everything's okay, you're doing fine. I just want to know is there something I can be helping you with, or is there something I can be pointing you to? It makes a huge difference again in that connection between human beings. So, the next two things are, are really pretty critical, and that is teacher and learner expectations. Setting clear and understandable performance expectations is absolutely critical. So, when we walk into this classroom, let's just pretend this is a classroom in a lecture hall, and I flip the lights on and I go over here and we start this way, you know, right now in this capacity, who's the teacher? I am, right? What's your role? You're the students. I mean, there's sort of this inferred balance of power and all that stuff, right, that comes with the physical space. In the online environment, it's not quite that way. Yeah, there's some, there's some authority levels there. But I had this faculty member who is, uh, is a wonderful guy. He's now retired. He's an Englishman. His name is Dr. Michael. And if you use his middle name, you get extra points, Graham Moore. He's done a lot of the writing about online learning. And he, oh, you know Dr. Moore. And uh, one day I was having breakfast with him, and I said, so Michael, how's your online course? He had just started. And he said, Larry, I'm actually quite upset. And I said, oh, what's wrong? He said, someone called me Mike today. (laughs) And I thought, shoot, I don't even call him Mike. I mean, it took me three years till I can call him Michael. You know, it was that balance. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, I sent a note out to the entire class that said, from here on in, you're to refer to me as Dr. Moore or Dr. Graham Moore. You know, like, use my formal name. So, and I didn't, I had no qualitative values that whether that's a good thing to do or not, that was him. But the point was, he had to define that performance expectation for his learners. He's working with adult learners who think, hey, Mike, you know, (laughs) didn't go over so well. So one of the things we encourage our faculty members to do is to communicate to the students what your teaching performance expectations are going to be. How often will you be logging into your course? How often, how long should they wait until they hear from you to know whether or not things are, you know, that they get a response back? Are you going to be 20 seconds? Are you going to be two minutes, two hours? What's a reasonable time? What do you guys think is a reasonable time for response? Students send you an inquiry. Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. When, when do you hope to get back? Anyone? 24 hours? 24 hours? OK. I, I'd say 12. I mean, honestly, I, I think 12 to 24, I'd usually tell faculty 12. I mean, uh, 24, and then I kind of say, but if you can do it in 12. I mean, if you think about 12 hours, you're probably going to get to that course sometime that even, evening, or perhaps sometimes earlier in the morning. We can almost always have a response back. 24, though, is the maximum. When we first started the, did, putting courses online, we had faculty members checking in once a week, yeah. you know? And, and saying to me, oh, Larry, you don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be really engaged. I'll be there at least once a week. And say, "Now that's not going to work. You, you really have to think about being there more frequently. How about weekends? Do you, do you give allowances for weekends? Nope. Well, you guys are tough. We, we say, if you could check into your course at least once on the weekend at some point, because when are your adult learners in particular doing their work? On the weekends. So, so that's really important. It'll, it'll cut down a lot on the noise. But this is also important, and that is explaining to the students what your expectations are for them. So there's think about this. This is new for many faculty teaching online. It's also new for many learners learning online. And having a clear definition of what do you want from me, how should I behave, and so forth. It gets to the point of also talking about netiquette. What do you permit in your course, and what don't you permit in this course, in order that when you have a violation, you can go right back and say, hey, write in the syllabus, or if you remember that opening letter I mentioned that you, you, you can't spam other people in the class. You can't treat people disrespectfully, or whatever your point is, and, and you can raise that. The other one down here about rubrics for assessment is absolutely critical, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in a second here. So the comment was made earlier about measurement and assessment, and this is one of the things that that you really have to tune into. So we've had to make a lot of adjustments for faculty members who said, look, I do assessment and evaluation twice per semester. I do a midterm and I do a final. Or they might say three times, whatever. Now think about somebody who is online who now has to accommodate to that environment. So now, two or three times a semester, I have to find somebody who's going to proctor. If I'm in South Africa or if I'm wherever, I now have to think about how do I do this. And, and that may not go over so well. I have to maybe pay somebody to sit in the classroom with me. Uh, I might have to, to find a teacher or somebody who has some level of authority. So, so I think this whole idea about thinking and being open to, we moved most of our assessment strategies over to other kinds of, of techniques. So we use a lot of projects, a lot of papers, a lot of group work, where, where you're using more qualitative kind of evaluation. We occasionally do have quantitative measures, um, and they are done online. But, but, we, but it takes a little bit more work to make sure that they are set up and that you're, that you're uh, managing your academic integrity appropriately. I want to come back to this at the very end, I want to tell you a story about this this one, so remind me on this assessment and measurement. So we talked about some of these things already, the scoring rubric. Uh, How many of you are familiar with Quality Matters? Have you heard of the term Quality Matters? Quality Matters very quickly is an organization that that provides a rubric for evaluating the quality of an online course. I was involved in developing the first two rubrics of that. I happened to be connected to something so I was feeling pretty... And I submitted my course, and I failed. <laughs> my course was OK done. I mean, it was, it was OK content-wise. But where I failed was on this rubric. They said it was incomprehensible, was the term that was used. I had so many points in there and s- scales and scores. They just said, I have no idea how I'm going to be graded in this course. I had to go back and, and modify that. So that is not an easy thing to get to sometimes, that scoring rubric, but it's really important for your learners. Um, this feedback schedule is also, you know, faculty members say 24 hours. I can't do 24 hours on, I have you know 50 students in my class. They're all writing a three-page paper. 24 hours isn't even an option. My point is, OK, that, I have no problems with that, but, but let them know when. Can I expect a response in a week? two weeks, just tell me. uh, In in particular, again, adults, but I think undergraduates as well, simply want to know when can I expect that. Again, I go back to my daughters taking Penn State online courses, and I say, well, you took that quiz last week online. When will you know about it? She'll say, I don't know. I have no idea. And in some cases, she never gets feedback from the quizzes, except for maybe the grade, you know, three weeks later that doesn't give her a whole lot of feedback. So the last thing in this bunching is around the support system. Knowing, knowing who you can go to in your environment for support. And this might be people like um, your co- colleague down the hall who is taught online. It might be students. It might be a support group. Uh, uh, Gabrielle and Joan may, may have people for you to be able to access. Uh, it may be people in other organizations or institutions that who are peers of yours who have taught online Um, I found that um, expressing gratitude to these folks when things happen positively goes a really long way they like to know that you appreciate their help if it's a tech support you know and I'm traveling someplace I bring them box uh, candy back or something just to say hey you really helped me when I was on the road I really appreciate that so let me stop here and see what kind of questions or comments or thoughts you might have around some of these topics. The, the online course, online, 2000 yes. how do you uh, incentivize faculty to take that? That's a great question. We started out, um, so I think we first started teaching that course in 2007, I think, six or seven. For the first three years, we paid faculty to take it we paid them three hundred dollars to, to take the course. Uh, after, after that third year the, the, the reputation of the program built to such a point that we took away the incentive no problems. Because the, the now faculty valued having that on their list of things. What we haven't done, and I don't know where you're going to go with this at Villanova so uh, I have to be careful, we have not at Penn State said you must take a faculty development program before you teach online. I wish we had, but that proverbial horse is out of the barn and it's hard. It's going to be hard to get that one back. Academic units, however, who have programs individually have said before you can teach online you have to complete OL2000. That's the best way we can do it. If you're not there yet, if someone hasn't made that policy, faculty may not want to hear this so you can cover your ears, but I think, I think requiring faculty to take a, a program that, and not only take a program, but also leave evidence that they have the skill sets, I think is a, a really powerful uh, way of ensuring that they're gonna be successful when they teach. You mentioned earlier that you could do certain things with online that you couldn't do with this audience. Right. Can you give an example? Oh, say for example, right, perfect example, right? I just asked some questions I got one question so far You're number two I'll bet you going around the room there are three or four other people who might have questions if I had some method of of having you input that into a safe place if you will maybe to say hey would you answer this later on say through an email or, or or some other account I could gather that data I could put up a quiz right now again transfer this to online I can post a quiz three or four questions just do a real quick test of your knowledge and get a sense of, did they get that point? Did they not understand that point? Do I need to go back to the next class and embed that? Um, I can ask you perhaps to generate your own quiz. We're going to have a quiz next Monday and I'd like you to generate some questions. And so, these are the ways of getting the students engaged in activities that bring them into the classroom contribute, but you, you get to hear, you can't lurk online. You can lurk right now. There will be people who will leave this program this afternoon and perhaps not ask a question or, or not you know you can't do that in the online environment. If I'm saying I'm going to measure you on the questions you ask, if that's part of my objective I'm going to be able to see that. I'll be able to track it. So it's that, that kind of, of um, things. I, I'll just digress a little bit. I'm using a new technology I'm really excited about. It's a curation tool. Curation tool allows you to select objects and add them to a theme or to a topic of some sort. And you can put in media elements. You can put in YouTube clips, PDFs, whatever. And then have students curate those. Put annotations in, perhaps put bibliography reviews in there if you want. Also vote up which of those elements was really helpful and which ones weren't, sort of like an Amazon type style thing. You know that's something that is hard to do in an environment like this uh, because I don't have enough way to give to get you all of the objects I need and have you do the interactions but a curation tool like this all of a sudden I can break you down into small groups have you work on uh, a whole variety of everybody can contribute to the curation tool but you can also all then comment and vote up and vote down on it so it's those kind of capabilities I think that help us in create a richer more engaged online learning environment. And those are also tools, by the way, I think you can bring into the classroom. They're not just for totally online classes. Yes? Oh, I had a question. I taught, um, I taught
0: uh, some online classes at another university. And do you have any suggestions on how to get students to work in small groups? Because I tried that and I always would have the problem of somebody saying, so and so never shows up, he never does anything, I post this
1: and he doesn't do that. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a great question and it's uh, it's a tricky one. I'll tell you the one that I've heard faculty say works the best. The idea of randomization hasn't worked out so well. It's probably about as best we've got, right, but it's not always the best solution. So what they'll often do is they'll wait two or three weeks into the course. Then they'll look at the student performance. Then they'll begin grouping students by ability and by engagement. So they'll take the high-performing students, and they'll put them together and create groups. They'll take the low-performing students, and now you might say, geez, well, you're not bringing up the low-performing students, but when you add high-performing students into that group, it can be very frustrating. So I I think depending on what your desired outcome is, uh, you have to select maybe different methods for grouping them, but it is a challenge, it is a challenge. The other other way they'll do it is they'll allow students to self-select into groups perhaps around topics. So if you're studying, I don't know, political uh, course of some sort and you want to look at different political systems around the world, maybe building the, you know, having the students identify different types of government structures and then allowing students to say, oh, I'm most interested in this one. That could help a little bit as well, okay? So let me just run down this, this last bit here. We did some some research, as we were building our faculty development program, we did some research around the skill sets and competencies that faculty actually need to be able to teach online. And the group that we went out to were people who have had uh, significant online experience teaching, instructional designers, these are people who have helped the faculty member craft the online learning space. Administrators of online programs and students, and we asked them what were the what were the skill sets and competencies that faculty needed to be really successful. The first one they identified. So what we did, and I didn't bring all of the background data to share with you, but but we came up with uh, 64 individual tasks. We then did a. Um, uh, grouping of those and look and then labeled the grouping. So when the tasks, depending on how the tasks co-related with each other, we grouped them and we labeled them. So these are our labels. But the first is this one idea about being engaged in the learning. It's the number one, the number one skill set. I've already talked a little bit about appropriateness. So that students don't want to just see you in the class. They want to see you in the class contributing something. Think it though about you know the challenge of doing that. At, at scale. And this is where using peer-to-peer type evaluation techniques may be more effective. Again, it may take your guidance, but are there ways in your class to break the groups down into smaller chunks and allow students to do some level of evaluation and assessment before you get drawn into it and have to sort of intervene uh, in it. But, but at all times they want to know that you're, you're involved, you're engaged in the experience. This one surprised us. And it had to do with providing leadership in the classroom. And again, it goes back to uh, more evidenced by times where you have lack of leadership. So you have a faculty member where things are falling apart in the online classroom. Maybe there's flaming going on or something. and And the faculty member doesn't step in, because they didn't clearly understand that that was part of their role and their responsibility. Yes, sir. That's one that sure, because I can not only when I answer that in face-to-face I do it spontaneously so boom we get it done but also everybody else in the room has now heard it right. S- slight limitation in the face-to-face environment there's only so many of those I can handle in a given time frame so the online gives me some less boundaries. So two, two ideas around that, that that we found really helpful. One is you take the time to answer the good questions in depth because you're going to reuse it over and over and over cuz you can guess you teach economics and you you can guess every time you teach economics this one point about the study of economics comes up it's just almost predictable so you have a database of those kinds of responses that can also be used when you're doing evaluation assessment of quizzes so they're they're taking quizzes and they get things wrong you can cut paste that's one technique so yes that first time you're investing time and energy to build that database out. Um, but you're going to reuse it. The second thing is to go back to your idea about posting a video response. So we use uh, a variety of different. We use Angel, I've already mentioned. And um, we, can use, we have an online editing video software called Kaltura. Faculty members can very easily go into Kaltura, create a little video clip. Or I can do it on my, I happen to be a Mac user, using my, my video camera in here and I can answer a response if I think it's a good response that the whole group needs to hear. That's the other point of, of, of the question environment. It's, it's helpful to let students know that there are good questions and there are some questions that aren't so great. Alright, so, so for example if you ask me again when the next quiz is or when I'll get my response back when all of that information was already been conveyed I had one faculty member and I don't think he did this but he threatened to do it and I always kinda like the idea he said if you ask me a question that is already answered on the syllabus I deduct a point from your grade (laughs) now he said if you ask me a question that's not on the syllabus and it's a good question I'll give you a point I don't think he actually implemented the method, but it was to the point of, of encouraging students to be thoughtful and do the homework. If you do a good course in design and development, and you've got the information in there for them, uh, their job is to go find it. Keeping an FAQ is another easy strategy, and it might be an FAQ for week one. And you've got to never because you again know the kinds of questions you're going to hear about what I do when I get those questions in the courses I teach I take that information I figure out is this procedural did I not tell them when the quiz was maybe I need to go back and reword it and I, I'm, I I would bet you've all had this experience reading something in email does not convey emotion I don't care how many little happy faces you stick at the end of it you know to tell me that you're really smiling if it's a snarky comment right <laughs> so no matter how many times I tell the students this is what I expect and here are the criteria, I still have people who misinterpret it or misunderstand what I meant by it. I again go back to that document and what I find myself doing often is taking out cultural nuances and language that, that might be misinterpreted. It's, it's really, you know, it's Benjamin Franklin's comment, if I had more time I would have written a short, shorter letter. You know, getting it down just to the salient point. What are you trying to say? Don't try to be cute about it. Don't, you know, Save that stuff, because somebody, somewhere. I had a student one time who didn't take the midterm. I thought, well, that's really odd. He just didn't take the midterm. And I wrote back to him, and he says, well, you never said we had to take the midterm. (laughs) Like, really? You know, I, I wasn't that explicit. I don't know. Anyways, I'm sure you've got good stories, you know. Right comes through and it's quicker. Right. And there's also office hours if you have synchronous classrooms. Okay. Or I'll meet via Skype if there's a student issue that
0: needs to be addressed so I don't I don't really think of a lot of the online stuff as not face to face because mm. oftentimes I'm looking at the like the
1: student size mm. of- right. Now I gotta tell you, we have four or five hundred courses now online through through this World Campus program. Um, I want to say 98% of those are asynchronous events. Very few, because we have students literally. Well, at one point, we had students on all seven continents. We had an engineer who was stationed in Antarctica taking a geospatial course, and we kept on failing him, you know, so that we could always say, and we have a student here on Antarctica. Because once he graduated, we couldn't say it anymore. Um, so so for us synchronous is a little bit more challenging we, we have to think about if you're doing synchronous and you're doing a timed event like a, a lecture or something well how about that student in England where you're doing at 4 p.m. it's already you know 9 p.m. at their time or whatever um, so we're very sensitive about that it doesn't mean we don't use it. it just means we have to be a little bit more thoughtful and sometimes it will mean that we have to offer the event at multiple times so we do it at 8 a.m. noon and 4 p.m. or something in order to the same program, which then gets tedious for the faculty members because you're doing it so many times. But it depends on you know who your target audience is and where they're physically located and such. And you, you will know that better than anybody else. Sir? So it seems like at Penn State, your unit has um, developed a lot of the resources and competencies to provide online programs. What, is this, what are the implications for that between uh, outside vendors in for, for programs. So if, if if some department in your department uh, wants to have an online program, do they come to you or do they go with an outside vendor? Do they pick and choose? And more generally, I mean, what does it take for an institution to require mm. to acquire
0: internally the competencies to, to launch online programs in-house as opposed to uh, in
1: partnership with a vendor? Could you ask a simpler question? <laughs> so um, so I'm going to give you our experience, and, and you know, I, I just haven't been here uh, long enough to understand all of the dimensions of your, of your initiative, but at Penn State, when we started the World Campus in 1998, there was a, a decree put out by then by a fellow you may have heard of. His name is Graham Spanier. He was our president at the time. Spanier was He's been in the news a lot lately for other reasons, but, it, but he really was the, was the heart of the World Campus, the start of the World Campus. And One of the things he said about that initiative in 1998 was this is going to be an institutional initiative, not individual. This is not going to be one program over here in business doing something and another program in engineering doing something and then calling it the World Campus. So from that directive came a single centralized organization that was the portal, doesn't mean we do everything, but it was the portal to, to courses that got represented to students outside of Penn State. The beauty of that was that when students were seeing a marketing message, for example, because we market our courses, you might have seen them in the airports and such, that there's one theme that's being used and that we didn't get we already have, on ground, five different MBA programs. Five, on ground. And, and the, what the president did not want at that time was another five of them in the air. He said, we're going to do one MBA. It's going to be the world campus MBA. So, so the thing we had to figure out is, well, what are those things that we should do and could do internal to Penn State? And what are those things that we should outsource? right? And that's been an evolutionary process rather than revolutionary. So, so in the beginning, for example, we actually had the World Campus Bookstore. So we had our own resource where we actually had a room on campus where we bought books and managed that until we finally figured out we're not a good bookstore. <laughs> you know, that's not the business that we're in. We outsourced that to Barnes & Noble. Now they do all procurement for books. They manage all that kind of stuff. Um, technical help on our learning management system. Well, that was something that that we needed to own because it represented a certain level of quality and level of responsiveness. So we had to go through a student, here's a good one, student advising and guidance. So we figured out that at the undergraduate level this was something that Penn State's World Campus could do. And so we built our own advising group internal to the the institution. The graduate level program said, no, this is something we do. Smaller numbers and so we'll, so they've hired capacity within their uh, academic units to do their advising. But we had this issue. We had students who came to the world campus who weren't quite ready to buy into a program that took guidance and direction and such. And so for those folks, we, we hired an outside firm. And um, that outside firm does our first level of, of um, assessment of whether the student is ready to take online, whether they need to, 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 they'll help them get their transcripts together and all of that. Then once they become a Penn State student, we've taken it on. So for each of these tasks and systems and services, we had to make a decision about what do we own. What are we good at? What should we be good at? And what are those things we can bring in external vendors to manage? I, I hope that gets a little bit to your to your point. And I know I'm sorry, we're we're I'm just sorry. <laughs> okay. could I run through these real quick? Uh, or, or are you tight on time? are getting tight. You're getting tight. Okay. One, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven. Most of these, most of these we've kind of hit on at one point or another, these competencies. Uh, It is about, I'll go back to saying that the, the faculty members are the key to the system. I think your administration values that, respects that. That's what's going to help you make whatever Villanova online initiative be amazing because you have an amazing reputation and brand already, and I know brilliant faculty. So I wish you well.